There are some mornings when I stand up before you and I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you will not understand what I'm about to say. And it's usually on me, right? But I'm afraid. The reason I worry about that is because there's so much in the Bible that is outside of our experience. I mean, if we were to talk about being in this small valley with a creek in the middle and a giant on one side and the army of Israel on the other side, there isn't anybody that says, oh yeah, I've been there. Or if you were to be pinned up against the sea with your family, only to have the Egyptian army bearing down on you and a a pillar of fire on one side and the sea on the other, and then it opens up and you walk through. Who can understand that? Or you're just taking a routine trip across uh, the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and your teacher is asleep in the bottom of the boat and you're all frantic. You wake him up and he he just sort of lifts his hand and says, peace be still, and whoosh, it's just Peaceful. That doesn't happen every day. And I worry that, you know, if I were to talk about those things, there's almost no way that I could make you feel like that's part of your life. But this morning we are in uh, Romans chapter 7. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. And the good news this morning is, I'm pretty sure you'll relate to what we're going to read. I'm pretty sure that you're going to look at this and say, oh, <laughs> I've been there. I've experienced that. And so that's uh, what we're going to find in Romans chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, I told you, Right? I told you, you'd recognize that. Because so many of us try and do what's right and we get 
stuck or we try, we fail and we do what's wrong instead and we try not to do what's wrong and we do it anyway and it's just like, ah! And here we have in Romans 7 a text that gives voice to our trouble. We have a text that, that ex- essentially exposes what's going on day by day in our lives as we try and walk as Christians. And the first thing that I want you to see here is that he, um, he agrees that the law is good. So this is what we looked at last week, that it's not God's fault. My struggle is not God's fault. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's what we looked at last week. He says the same thing again in verse 14. For we know the law is spiritual. And then we go to verse 16. It says, now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. And so this law is spiritual and good and righteous. And it expresses God's character. And what that essentially tells us is that God has uh, given us, He has revealed Himself to us, exposed His character, and showed us right from wrong and the fact that we do wrong anyway uh, agrees with Him about what is right. And I would add, it's not His fault that we fail at doing what's right. And so, that's just a bit of what we talked about last week. Here is the issue though, isn't it? I do not understand my own actions. I do not understand my own actions. And here we have, here we have the Apostle Paul, who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, knowing the law inside and out, being proud of doing it his entire life, until he is met on the road uh, to Damascus, knocked off his donkey by a bright light, and he hears from Jesus, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, he turns his life around. He, turned, he repents of his former way of life and trusts in Jesus. And he is a different man. And instead of being proud as a lawkeeper, somebody who, who could cite his credentials as one who does his best and pleases God, instead, now, he's a lot more humble. And he says, I do not understand my own actions. And he goes on to say, I I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And when I do that, I agree with the law, and it's not I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. Now, the sin who dwells in me, we need to stop here just for a moment. If we're we're saying the law is good, that that God is good, and He He has expressed to us what He expects and what is good and right, then we also need to review what we talked about last week about how that law takes advantage of us and it causes us to sin. It promotes sin. It, It makes us attempt in our own power to be law keepers. To be proud. To earn before God our standing. To perform so that we might be accepted and loved. 
And sin takes advantage of the law. And here he said that all of this confusion when I don't understand the way that I act, it's because sin dwells in me. And again, I will just remind you that when he's talking about sin here, he's not talking about those individual little actions that make me uh, feel guilty or bad if I do one of them or if I think a thought or I say a wrong word and I have this pang of guilt. That's not those little sins that he's talking about. He's talking about sin as this power that essentially pulls the levers in my heart whether I want them pulled or not. And the law helps it do that. And what he's not doing here, when he says it's sin that dwells in me, he's not saying, therefore, it's not my fault. Therefore, I don't worry about it. It's not on me. Still is on him. He still is responsible for his own behavior, but he finds himself in this tug of war. He is the little flag in the middle. And there is on the one hand this new life in Christ pulling him this way. And there is on the other hand sin pulling him this way. And when he goes this way, he says, sin is pulling me. And he goes on to express his frustration with this state of affairs. Nothing good dwells in me. He says, that is in my flesh. Now again, I'm just going to stop and, and remind you about our terms. The, the term sin is not the little bitty sins. It's the, it's the great big power that pulls me the wrong way. My flesh is not what hangs on my bones. It's not the skin that I, that I scrub when I wash my hands. My flesh is my natural condition in Adam. It's how I was born. It's the default setting on human beings. And so what he's saying is that there is nothing good dwells in me that is in my natural condition. That is in the way I find myself in Adam and the way that I grew up and the way that I behaved in my manner of life. There's nothing good. And so he gives us his reasons why. He says, for I have the desire to do what's right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. And see, that's the pressure that he's in here when he's in this tug of war. He has the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to do it. And probably if, if you were to express your own feelings about this tug of war, this pressure that you feel that made you uh, identify with this text, it would probably be that. I want to do what's right, but I just don't think I can make myself. I don't have the ability. You see, one of the things that makes me um, think that this is Paul expressing his own Christian experience in the, in the place of all of our Christian experiences, so that all of us identify with this, is the fact he says, I desire to do what's right. He desired to, to do the law as a Pharisee, as a Jew, but not necessarily to do what was right. Not necessarily to, to have a heart that is sensitive to God and pleasing Him. 
but rather to perform for Him. But here, now that he is a believer, now that God has taken out his heart of stone and put in him a heart of flesh, and God has put his spirit within him, there is a renewed desire to do what's right, which I, I hope is the case with all of us. And then we find ourselves in our natural condition, thinking, I'm going to do my best for Jesus only to find that we cannot succeed in that tug of war in going the right direction. I don't have the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And as he goes on, you have to read it very slowly so that you don't start mixing up these phrases because they all sound the same, essentially admitting I'm not who I want to be. See, it's just ironic to me that anyone would claim to be a Christian and claim to have arrived. That somebody would be a Christian and think that they've got it together and look down on somebody else because it's not together for them. Heavens! This is, the, in some regard, the universal Christian expression here. I'm not together. I hope better for you, but I'm not. Evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so what he finds is that he is, he is right here. Even as he's studying his own actions, he finds himself drawn by habit, drawn by uh, training, drawn by nationality, drawn by genetics, drawn by whatever it is that sin inherits, in, um, inhabits in him, drawn to do what is wrong. And so all of that proves, he proves to himself that there is a power within him. This is not an escape, this is not a, an attempt to say it's not a big deal. Still a big deal. It's simply an attempt to explain why, if it's a big deal, am I still struggling to do what's right? Well, the answer is that sin that we talked about before. That brings us to his self discovery. So he admits the problem, and then he has a series here of self discoveries. The first one. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So what he finds, I'm going to start with the last part first, evil lies close at hand. It's as though he wants to do something and he reaches for his tool and it's the wrong tool. And the tool... Um, makes the wrong cut. The tool, the tool ruins the, the a piece of pottery he's putting together or the thing that he's building and he just grabs the wrong thing. Evil's always within arm's reach. I'm never in a place where evil is not close by. And then he says, I find that to be a law. So, clearly... 
clearly he is talking about something other than the law of Moses that he was talking about earlier. The law of Moses, or the law that God has given, is good and righteous and holy. Now he's on to a new law. This is a law that he comes to by discovery. It would be a law much like you might discover the law of gravity. You open your hand, something falls down. You do that a hundred times, a hundred things fall. I find it to be a law. Then when I let go of something, it goes to the ground. I find that to be a law. Okay, you bring it into more of a moral sense. Okay, I find it to be a law that if I go on a date with my wife to a place that has TVs, what? Some of you know it's a law for you too, isn't it? I find it to be a law that the game I most want to see is on the TV right behind her. I find it to be a law that as I concentrate as much as I can, I still find myself checking the score. You see, that's, that's the kind of law it is. He, he knows he should be doing something and yet it's automatic. It's as though it was wired into the very fabric of the universe. The evil lies close at hand. And in fact, we'll find out it is wired into the very fabric of the universe. But that's in just a minute. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now here is his expression again of, of this new covenant promise that God made in the Old Testament that He would put a new heart within Him. That He would take out His heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. That He would put His Spirit within Him. Which causes Him then to delight in the law of God as opposed to out of duty trying to perform it. Trying to do the right thing all the time and the religious thing all the time and feeling the pressure of trying to earn God's favor. Rather than the law of God, his performance of the law of God defining who he is, instead what defines him now in this new situation is that he delights in the law of God. There's no accident that the mission of New Life Church is to help people delight in God. Because that really is what God is trying to do in remaking people. In this regeneration, this making people born again, what He is doing is helping us delight in the law of God. In our hearts, in our inner being. So that deep down, we really do want to do what's right. Even though we get tugged in the wrong direction. And we find it to be a law that we get tugged in the wrong direction because evil is always close at hand. And he says, I see in my members another law. So he's back onto this law that he discovered. And he finds it now in his members, in his hands, in his mouth. When, when he would say the right thing, he says the wrong thing. He finds it in his brain. When he'd think the right thing, he, instead he thinks the wrong thing. And this law in his members wages war against that inner being that he was talking about, in the law, against the law of his mind. 
Now, why does he single out his members? Why, why does he talk about his members? Well, you recall that he was talking earlier about his flesh or his natural condition being caught in the natural condition here in Adam. Being a human, my problem is that sin is right here. And there's a law in who I am that makes me do the wrong thing. Sin works on me in that way. I'm going to propose, I'm just going to kind of review a little bit here and try and propose why I think that's the case. If you remember chapter um, chapter 4, we were introduced to, a, to an identity that we have because of Jesus. There is, there is uh, over here, Adam. We are in Adam. Born into Adam. He is the head. He is the leader. Because we are in Adam, we have sin and we have death. That's the way that this operates over here. But those who have trusted Christ are in Christ and Jesus is the leader. And there is grace instead of law. And there is life instead of sin and death. Now, that's all well and good. I did my best to try and give you that conceptual idea that we start out in Adam, you trust Jesus, now you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you're baptized into His death, and you are now in Christ and alive. And that is all just essentially thought bubbles up here, right? Until right now. Because what happened is, all of this is true. Those who have become believers in Jesus are delivered from the tyranny of sin, it is no longer a master where it tells us what to do and we must comply. That is no longer the situation. We have been delivered and now we are in Christ. The problem is that we still live our physical lives in a sphere that is just like Adam. So, my members, when I leave here and I go turn on my television, say, or when I leave here and I go um, handle some money, I am doing that in a sphere controlled by sin. So that all, for all of my idealism... Where I, where I want to be over in Christ and just have this glorious delight in all that God is for me and all that He's done for me and feel this wonderful deliverance, which is true. I have my physical existence. My members operate over here. And there is this law, this tug of war that sin is close by. It's got this power. It's power exercised because of the law that wages war against this desire to be over here, to live this way. And it makes me captive to sin that dwells in my members. And so here I am, here I am under, delivered by Christ, yet in the midst of this power of sin. Here I am delivered by Christ and 
Every tool at my disposal is poisoned because of sin. And so I am struggling to fully experience this wonderful, delightful deliverance I have from Christ in my everyday experience when I'm over here and everything about me draws me back to the dominion of Adam. Back to where sin and death reign. And so the struggle is real. The difference is, when I was born over here, before I was born again, I didn't have the choice to be delivered. I was not at all free. Now, I have been set free from the law of sin and death by Christ. And every single thing that I encounter gives me this choice to submit again here to Adam. To try and live under the law. To choose sin and rebellion against God instead of doing what's right. I didn't have that choice before. That's the struggle. That's the struggle that brings us uh, to the misery. It says, wretched man that I am. Wretched is, wretched is kind of negative. Okay? You, can, you could translate it wretched. You could also translate it miserable. And I think in this context, when he's just talking about the struggle and how it just wears him out, miserable seems to fit better for me. So miserable man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? That's his question. The struggle is real. The tug of war is here. And I find myself in my body living in the sphere of death face every single moment with choices when I'm, un- when I'm influenced by the power of sin to sin or to live in my um, glorious inheritance in Christ. And I just can hardly take it anymore. And so I have to ask, how am I going to get out of this mess? That's, you can think of it that way. That's, a, that's the question. How am I going to get out of this mess? Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Which is the right question. Because it throws us back to what the book of Romans is about. The book of Romans is about what God has done for us in Jesus. When he says, who will deliver me from the body of death? He is essentially saying, it's not going to be me. I've tried. So who else is there? Well, you recall. You recall what we've seen so far. Romans chapter uh, 1, we're uh, impressed with the impact that sin has had on human beings throughout the ages so that they choose the, the creature instead of the Creator. They pro- Profess themselves to be wise, but they're fools. They think that they're teachers, but they're really foolish. And they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And you see the degradation that sin has on the human race and people captive under sin. 
In chapter 2, you see the law come in and people try and keep the law and their, their pride doesn't help them. And they find themselves in their conscience and in their law-keeping to, to need some sort of deliverance. And then in chapter 3, we have the glorious truth that, well, the terrible truth, there's none good, no, not one. All of sin falls short of the glorious God. Before we get to the glorious truth that um, God has prepared for us uh, propitiation. Somebody that's going to satisfy His wrath against our sin so that we can be delivered from our sin and forgiven. So that that forgiveness reconciles us to God. It gives us peace with God. It makes us free. And for the first time in our lives, we have a Savior, a hope that we will be free from this effect of sin. Chapter 4 and 5, he outlines for us the, the new identity that is carved out for us in Christ so that we now can be in Christ and we are no longer have the slave master of sin. And then now, he recognizes that even though all of that is true, that you are fully alive and one day you will be eternally alive in Christ in His presence, we are still stuck here with this body of death. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And here's His answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It really isn't any more complicated than that. It's as easy as it can be that God delivers us through Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the good news that you needed at the very beginning. When you were over here lost and you had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and you didn't know what to do, and somebody said, Jesus will save you from your sins and you can be forgiven. And you believed that. And you trusted Christ to be your Savior. And He delivered you and you have the hope of eternal life. You needed that in the beginning. But the beauty of it is, you need that same message today. And you'll need it again tomorrow. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that delivers us. So that it is not, it is not an exercise in self-effort. It's not our um, trying harder and doing better that ultimately delivers us. We are not loved more because we perform better. We are loved because God has loved us through Christ. And as it says in Romans chapter 5, while we were, God declared His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here we are, finding ourselves in need of a Savior even after you believed in the Savior. You need Him to be your Savior and you need Him again today to save you and again tomorrow to save you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then He just says, this is where we are. I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I want to be... I want to be over here. I want to be pulled in the, in the way of my heavenly home and my new identity in Christ. But 
with my flesh. I'm serving this law of sin. I'm stuck over here in this body where everything about me prompts me to sin. That's my condition. And so I, I wanted to get you here and I wanted to leave you here. We're, we're going to finish for a little while in the, um, in the book of Romans. It's going to be a little over a month before we come back. So you're going to breathe easy. We're not going to talk about sin so much for a little while. I wanted to get here and remind you that your deliverance is found in Christ, not in your performance. Not in your rule keeping. Not in your being better than somebody else. It's found in Christ. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it occurred to me, there's really, I really haven't said anything to do. Like, okay, we're going to go from here. It's Christmas Eve. What are you going to do? I, I'm just going to review about what you can do here real fast. Whoops, this is not review. Well, this is review. This is what, this is that new covenant promise from Romans chapter 6. You have become obedient from the heart to the standard teaching to which you were committed. God has done this. Thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here is what we can do. This is back from chapter 6. Now, if you died with Christ, we believe. Okay, what you're going to find is, that the Christian life at the beginning is belief. The Christian life yesterday was belief. It's today it's belief. Tomorrow it's belief. It's all faith. In fact, later in Romans, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with Him. We know that Christ being... So, what do you do? You believe. You know what... You, you have to nail down what you know. You know that Christ is raised from the dead and He'll never die again. Death has no dominion over Him. Because death has no dominion over Him, the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. The life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're over here frustrated by this, by this tug of war. You need to realize who you are. And count yourself to be who you are. I really belong over here. This is my home. I'm a foreigner in this land now. I have been rescued but I still have problems. I need to consider myself belonging to Christ. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, engage the struggle. Don't just fold your hands and say, I can't help it. Sit sin in me. No problem. No, you engage the struggle. Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin be the boss of you. Don't let it reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members over here to sin. Okay, this power that's around you where sin is close at hand in your members, don't. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So, regularly, daily, hourly, minutely, show up. Present yourself. God, help me. I'm here. Who's going to deliver me this moment? This moment is going to have to be you. I'm here. I'm presenting myself. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For, and here's the punchline. You're around here. You have this pressure, this tug of war in your heart. Sin will have no dominion over you. Thanks be to God our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.